Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Bob Lay. I am the programs manager at San Diego Pride. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I am a Navy veteran. And it is my pleasure to be here with you today, the day before Veterans Day, to talk to some local San Diego veterans. Uh, we want to take a minute to celebrate Veterans Day and celebrate the service that the, our LGBT veterans gave to our country. And we want to talk about some of the accomplishments that our San Diego veterans have given back to this community. We're going to talk to and you're going to meet some amazing people here, amazing San Diego veterans who have done so much for our community uh, after they served in the military. But first, I want to take just a minute to make sure we understand what a veteran is. A veteran means a person who served in the active military in the Air Force, Army, Coast Guard, Navy, or Marine Corps. And we have some fantastic veterans that we couldn't even fit on the program today. And I want to just take a minute to mention their names. Bridget Wilson, Jerry Dilno, Kristen Beck. Ben Gomez, Autumn Sandine, Kelly Gilliand, Morgan Hurley, Sean Redman, Jackie Jackson, Jackson Redman, Luke Terpstra, TJ Sagine, John Kessler, Edwin Lohr, Frank Steridi, Lisa Cove, Will Rodriguez Kennedy. These are local San Diego veterans, LGBT folks who have continued to serve from the front and lead the way. And now, I'm very excited to introduce to you today our panel of speakers who will talk to us about their service, about their time in the military, and their time since. So I'm going to ask them when I introduce them to introduce themselves, their name and their pronouns, the branch of the service they served in for how long, and the organization they work with today. And then we'll get right to the question. So first up, we have Evelyn Thomas. Also joining us today is Janessa Goldbeck, Veronica Zare, Alberto Cortez, and Clay Kilpatrick. So it's my pleasure here to bring them to the screen. And we're excited that they're with us today. So we'll start with you, Evelyn. Would you introduce yourselves to everyone? Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Coco Evelyn Thomas. I'm an honorable woman veteran of the Army National Guard and the United States Marine Corps. My pronouns are her and she, and currently I'm, I'm, I'm the founder and executive director of the Sanctuary Project Veterans. We advocate for LGBT veterans and women veteran survivors of military sexual trauma, access to adequate health care. Thank you very much. Janessa, would you go next for us? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Um, well, hi, everyone. My name is Janessa Goldbeck. I am a former captain in the United States Marine Corps. I was a combat engineer and a, a civil affairs officer. Um, I currently, my pronouns are she, her, and currently I run a small consulting firm that works with progressive organizations around the country to pass legislation at both the state and federal level. Um, and I also am the co-founder of the Truman National Security Project San Diego chapter, which is a progressive policy think slash do tank. I'm really happy to be here today. And it's really great to have you on a panel for once, Janessa, instead of leaving the panels with pride. Thank you for being here. Uh, Veronica, please. Yes, I am Veronica Zare, um, 
former mayor, retired major, United States Army. I started out my Army career as a cavalry, cavalry scout, cavalry platoon leader, um, and then I, I served as a company commander in a number of staff jobs before I ended up with 23 years of service. And it was I. It wasn't quite 23 years. It was 22 years, 10 months, and six days. But that wasn't counting. We're not counting, Veronica. No, thank you very much. And and uh, Alberto, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Alberto Cortez. My um, pronouns are he, him, his. I had the uh, privilege of serving in the United States Naval Submarine Force uh, for four years on a, on a pre-don't-ask-don't-tell years back when you were using rowers to get through. Very good, thank you very much. Now, before we uh, continue on, uh, I understand it's a birthday today, and uh, let me see, it's uh, 245 years old, the United States Marine Corps. All right, very good, happy birthday. Very happy for you. Uh, oh, there we go. Good mug. Uh, we're waiting on one person, Clay uh, Kilpatrick, who is also a United States Marine, has a little technical trouble. Hopefully he'll be able to join us. So let me get right down to it. All of us here live at the intersection of being a veteran and being LGBT. We serve sometimes many different communities, uh, along with other identities that we have. What are some of the challenges you've encountered uh, as navigating these intersections. And Alberto, why don't we uh, start with you? What are some of the challenges you found uh, navigating these intersections? Well, um, you know, I, I, I don't even think of, of them as challenges. I guess um, I, um, I've been living in San Diego for a long time and, and very much feel integrated into the community. I, I served in the Navy uh, back from 79 to 83 when it was um, when you had to um, mis somewhat misrepresent when the question came up in the forms when you were signing up uh, and they asked you about um, whether or not you were homosexual and uh, or had those tendency or whatever the question was I distinctly do remember answering that question um, and um, and I served in the military and I came to San Diego in 83 after serving in the military and um, integrating into society. The challenges have go beyond just being an LGBT person, but how does one come back into society? And I, and I, um, I, re I remember the struggles ab about being, becoming a civilian and fearing and, and realize thinking that it was my doing that it was such a hard time to go, come back in society, um, just generally speaking, um, as far as integrating into the LGBT community, I think that was my saving grace, was having a more defined community to come to when I came to San Diego. And that was the connection, those connections that I made and um, am grateful for, and people that I've known since then now going on, you know, 37 years of living in this town. So um, um, I, I guess I more am uh, focused on the gratitude for what I did find in coming into, coming to San Diego and being a part of the LGBT community. Thank you. Thank you, Alberto. Uh, Evelyn, challenges that you may have faced uh, navigating these intersections? Um the intersection of being a black person, a woman, a lesbian, and a veteran challenges depending on the audience. At times I find myself juggling these roles when I present myself to the world, whether it's in my personal professional life. Uh, when I first left the Marine Corps, I personally had the challenge identifying as a veteran. Today, I face the challenge of being recognized as a veteran average person's concept of a person, um, I mean, uh, of a veteran is a white male. The image of a black woman, a black le lesbian does not pop in their mind. Women that serve in the military are constantly combating the group think of the definition of a veteran. And I'm tired of people asking me, actually, when I go to access my earned and entitled benefits, 
whether it's with a personal organization, they always ask the question, what branch of service did your husband serve in? And I'm tired of ask. I'm tired of them asking. I'm tired of them asking that question. And I love to see the reaction on their face when I reply to them. I'm the veteran. Yeah. And back in uh, 2012 and 20. Uh, I'm sorry, 2011, 2012, when I was the on the executive board for the United Veterans Council of San Diego, majority of the members of this organization were male veterans that ranged from World War II, the Korean War in the Vietnam War areas and the challenge working with these older white male veterans uh, with their traditional ideas and concepts was, uh, was addressing the stereotypes that they have of lesbian women. So it all depends on the uh, the audience that I'm uh, presenting myself to. And the most constant challenge that I have today is being recognized as a veteran. Thank you. Thank you. Janessa, you you mentioned, in fact, I saw you uh, at the Wall of Honor last week, the, the LGBT Community Center's Wall of Honor induction ceremony. Veronica, Alberto, nice job. Congratulations on putting on a wonderful program. Uh, but Janessa, you spoke about you served, you, you joined, and right while you were still kind of in officer training school, the Don't Ask, Don't Tell was uh, was uh, uh, overturned and, 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 and decertified. And you were able to be your true, authentic self. Has so has the 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 challenge there been different for you? These intersections. Yeah, well, I um, definitely stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, and was able to serve openly um, from basically week seven um, in officer candidate school because of the work that was done for so many uh, decades before. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps. So to, to all those who served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell and, and stood up and, and fought against that policy, I want to thank you personally for allowing my service to be possible um, as an openly gay woman in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was able to uh, be out, like I said, from like week seven at, at Quantico. Um, and, I, you know, Evelyn touched on what it's like to be a woman in the, in the military in general. Um, but in the Marine Corps, we are uh, particularly skewed. Um, we're less than 10% female. And so just being a woman in the room um, is already an interesting <laughs> dynamic. Um, but I actually found that being able to be out and gay um, gave me uh, something to talk about with a lot of my male peers who might not have ever met uh, a gay person before or, or a gay woman. Um, you, you know, like in a weird way, I was able to connect with a lot of straight men, uh, you know, talking about, oh, navigating the challenges of moving in with our girlfriends for the first time or uh, what it's like to, to have a long distance relationship. And not that you couldn't have those conversations otherwise, but for them, they were able to sort of see something. We had something in common. Um, and I have a distinct memory of talking about, um, you know, moving in with our with my girlfriend at the time uh, with a buddy of mine who was you know, deeply conservative Southern white man um, who had never had uh, a gay friend before. And uh, as we were chatting about this thing, um, you know, he looked at me and he said, oh, you know, I've actually, I, I always thought like lesbians were like butch and like, you're not really, you're like, you're not really that, that butch. And I'm like in my Marine Corps outfit with like a lip of tobacco in like a huge machine gun in my hand, dirty. I'm like, how could I be more like any more butch like this is and, and what he meant what he was trying to say in a in an imperfect way was um you know i i, I always felt very alien like gay people lgbt people trans people always felt very alien to him but but here was somebody who he was connecting with on a human level so in a way like my gayness was kind of an advantage in the marines um over other like straight women because i had something that they didn't have in terms of an ability to connect with these guys um and so, you know, it's a really interesting dynamic to navigate. And, um, you know, being a woman in the military, being a gay person in the military or a queer person, trans person, um, you know, it's just, I think you're hypersensitive to the institutional discrimination. Um, and, and if you're in a position of leadership, that means you're responsible for addressing that wherever, uh, wherever you see it, whether or not it's directly related to you or is an issue of race um, or, or gender discrimination. So... I took that that responsibility really seriously, um, knowing that I had that ability. Thank you. Uh, I want to just take a minute to don't ask, don't tell was a policy that was implemented uh, in 1993 under President then Bill Clinton. Well, stop for stop the presses. 
we have Clay. Well, we had Clay. Uh, no, I'm here. I'm trying to on. Oh, Clay, welcome. We're glad you could join us. Could you uh, very quickly introduce yourself, your, your name, pronouns, and the, uh, the military department you served in? Absolutely. So my name is Clay Kilpatrick. I am on the San Diego Military Department Pride Co-Chair. I also serve as a, a uh, on the Wall of Honor Council, and I am a proud Marine Corps veteran, have broken Marine Corps, and um, yeah, that's my story. All right. Well, we were just get, thank you for joining us, Clay. We sorry that we had a little technical issue there. Uh, we were just talking about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I was mentioning that it was uh, Im implemented during uh, President Clinton's first term in 1993, and it was in effect from 1994 all the way until 2011 when uh, President Obama was able to have it repealed. But under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, over 13,000 of our fellow service members were discharged, and um, often very painfully, often very difficultly, uh, because of their uh, being uh, LGBT. I kind of want to just quick show of hands. How many served either before, before Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Anybody served before Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Anybody served during Don't Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And then Janessa <laughs> afterwards. Okay. So for those during, I'm sorry, for those before, was it much different? I mean, did you still have to sort of be in that 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 uh, military closet, so to speak, and be careful of pronouns and weekends, Clay. And then uh, we're gonna we're gonna go to Veronica first, and then we'll come back to you, Clay. Right. Veronica, you served both during, before, and during, right? Correct, correct. Um, the big deal about uh, before, don't ask, don't tell, was when. Um, what would happen is is that no one. You were afraid. You were like in the double closet, okay? And the double closet is you're you're basically hiding from yourself, okay? And then you're hiding from exhibiting anything that might betray your inner identity, okay? And I think that's what 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 characterized my service uh, before. Don't ask, don't tell. Actually, what I found interesting is that it was harder. Um, it was. The military culture during Don't Ask, Don't Tell was we got to find every every gay person under the rock. We have to turn over every single rock to get these these fuckers, these people out. Excuse me, um, but basically that's what they that's that's what their attitude was. All right, Clay, did, did you see similar? Uh, you were in before. I was. I got out just before. I got out in 1992 in February of 92, and I think it went in in April after that. Uh, but to echo what uh, Veronica was saying, yeah, I mean, it was. You know, I mean, the the big thing is, I think for me, it was initially was just not admitting to myself I was gay and not wanting to be gay. But when I did sort of open that closet door, uh, it was here in San Diego, and I went to Hillcrest and started meeting people, but. You know, to hide everything about, you know, like I, I couldn't talk about where I went at night. I couldn't talk about who I hung out with. Um, even to the point, like back in the day, we used to have uh, base stickers on our cars. And it would say, you know, uh, where you were and everything. And I remember any time I parked somewhere in Hillcrest, I would put a car cover on so that if anybody was walking around Hillcrest, they could identify my car as being related to being at MCRD. And so um, just this constant fear that I was going to say something wrong was just, just a just huge weight that you carried. So, you know, I'm thinking this don't ask, don't tell. Uh, and, and was it Veronica who mentioned the, the or was it Evelyn, the double closet? Mm -hmm. uh, Okay. I think that's something that really people, non-military people might not understand. And, and Janessa, I'm not sure how much, I know you're, you know, obviously uh, uh, very, very intelligent and up on things, but, uh, you know, that double closet, are, uh, accepting yourself as being gay and then trying to navigate being gay in the military. And, and Clay, you mentioned it real well, you know, watching pronouns, watching, uh, watching how we speak to each other, being careful. I, I remember I was in during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And I had a chief who hated the fact that I lived in Hillcrest. And he used to give me a hard time every Monday. What'd you do in Hillcrest this weekend? How was Hillcrest this weekend? 
And I couldn't really do anything about it because I had to be very careful about tiptoeing that, you know, don't don't present the fact that I might be gay. Did anybody else struggle with that double closet uh, either before or during? Veronica? And then yeah. Evelyn. Veronica and Evelyn. One of the things I wanted to add was, was that uh, in the period um, before, in the period before, don't ask me at all, um, but almost um, amplified afterwards, and don't ask, don't tell became policy, was there seemed to be a great deal of performance that I had to do. Uh, because I remember one time I was walking from the orderly room down to the motor pool uh, for stables uh, for the tank tank maintenance, and I was walking, and I was very cognizant of the walk. And after transition, I, I, I've never been cognizant of my walk anymore, and I was afraid of exhibiting a little bit too much swish, as a British officer friend of mine would say. When we're not live, if we could mute our mics, we're getting a little bit of feedback, my technical people. Evelyn, why don't you share with us a little bit about what you were uh, we were going to share? Well, like I, I served prior to the last and I remember I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, but I would spend all my social time down in San Diego, mainly at the Flame and Club on Bayview, which most of the lesbian clubs. And I remember dreading. Monday mornings, because on Sunday night, I had to come up with a story, basically a lie, and come up with the right pronouns and discuss, because always when I came in on Monday morning, someone in my hotel would ask Corporal um, Thomas, what you do for the weekend? So I had to make sure I used the right pronouns, and I had to give a general description of what I did for the weekend, so no one would ask me questions about, you know, you know, who did I spend my time with? You know, I mean, what did I do for the weekend? Who's your boyfriend? Who's your husband? And I remember the dreadful Sundays, uh, my stomach would turn because I would have to go and present this lie in order to protect myself for survival. Because if I revealed the truth, I would be discharged out of the military. And this goes, I knew exactly what to expect because on the day that I took the oath to enlist in the military, I was asked two questions. Are you a homosexual? And have you ever participated in homosexual activity? And I knew if I told the truth, I, I would not be allowed to serve in the military just because of God, how God made me. And I had to compromise my integrity. And I should have been the happiest day of my life taking the oath. But I knew at that moment while I was taking the oath and raising my right hand, that I had to hide who I was because I was being unfit and serve and protect my country and, and fight for its core values. I think we all can, uh, with the, yeah, all of us can understand how that felt. Alberto, you were going to yeah, add I something? Think, you know, it's interesting from listening to Evelyn and Ronnie, for example, on their experiences that the, um, whatever experience we had was so determined by the command and the attitudes of the commands that we served in. I was in the submarine force in, in um, New London, Connecticut, um, and it was pre-Don't Ask, Don't Tell. By the way, my perception of Don't Ask, Don't Tell at the time that it was being enacted was that it was intended to provide a protection to gay folks in the military, um, that it ended up being the way that it was, was in part because of the, <clears throat> the compromises in the political system of coming up with some kind of agreement. But um, because before don't ask, don't tell, there was asking. And I guess that's the, the difference, uh, but um, totally appreciating the horrid impact that it had once it was actually implemented. But um, my, my point, um, my other point is that the fact that in, in my experience as part of the submarine force, there was almost a known, at least where I served, it was, there was a level of respect about how you lived your life that some people would not, there would be little inquiry and 
what I recall very clearly was you were respected for the work and the dependence on your skills in the survival of everybody, which was part of the the mantra in the submarine force. When you go in a submarine and you go underwater, everybody's work becomes immensely critical to being able to come back up to the surface. And so it became so important that we just focus on knowing what we had to do and doing it right, where the there was, I, it was one of the few environments in my whole life that I recall where suddenly who you were and where you came from, at least when you were underway, became so much less relevant. Um, I'm not saying, I, mean, I can also say that once we were back in port and on that pier, there was a noticeable difference of joining back into a society that was evidently homophobic, evidently racist, evidently many other things and misogynist, etc. And that the roles of our society became very clear. It was even palpable with the straight men that I was in that submarine on underway who behaved in such a different way. And the second that we were in port, there was this expected role that it was like the society and its biases seeped right back right back in. And I don't know if other people, especially if you were serving in environments that were, I mean, I use submarine ports because it's a highly isolated environment that might have experienced similar kinds of differences in behavior based on the environment that you were in and how society or the presence of society um, uh, re-engagement affects behavior, even among our shipmates or our peers. Thank you, Alberto. Yes, I can imagine sort of an isolated group there underwater with a mission that's very focused on to get back up. Uh, Janessa, you were you wanted to share something. Yeah, I just um, well, I, I think Alberto, that, what a beautiful description of the military at its best. Um, I do. I did also have that experience um, in in some of my commands where you know, the, the uh, intensity of the mission or the importance of doing the job right and well um, completely superseded our individual identity features and backgrounds and allowed, um, you know, relationships to, to occur that maybe wouldn't happen um, in the greater, in, the, in, in our normal quote unquote society. Uh, but I did just want to share that, you know, having served, um, being able to serve as an openly gay officer in the Marine Corps, um, one of the more rewarding experiences that I had was the opportunity to mentor young LGBTQIA individuals who were able to, um, you know, a lot of them were coming from very rural conservative places and had never had a queer uh, authority figure in their life. And, um, you know, not to say that I, I wasn't able to men mentor straight Marines and sailors, I hope I was as well, but that getting to know your Marines and sailors, uh, you know, regardless of what, you know, rank you are, NCO, staff NCO, officer, um, that is one of the most critical things to creating a an effective unit. And if you can't get to know your Marine or sailor, uh, you know, what their life is like when they're not at work, um, you know, who, who they love and, and who's taking care of them and watching out for them, that you are not able to put together the, the type of culture in a unit that, that will make it successful. But um, being able to have those conversations, have a, a young Marine sit down and say, you know, I'm gay and I haven't come out to my family yet. And can we talk through how that might happen when I go home for Christmas? You know, that is an incredible um an incredible opportunity and and i'm i'm excited to see you know how our force grows and changes as as every you know as, as hopefully in this next administration everyone is allowed to to serve as themselves 100 percent there uh, janessa uh, i'm glad we had people uh such as yourself in the marines to to mentor them i know that all of you uh Evelyn with your Sanctuary Project Veterans, Ronnie with the Wall of Honor and Neutral Corners, Clay with the Wall of Honor and the Pride Military Department, and certainly Alberto as Mama's Kitchen. You've taken what you've learned in the military and you've you've continued to be a leader in our community. Um, and yet I think of so many LGBT veterans that have sort of suffered in silence, just like they sometimes served in silence. Um, 
we know that there's gaps in services and support for our LGBT veterans, whether it's uh, PTSD, suicide, homelessness, healthcare in the world. Therefore, the concentration of LGBT veterans here. Do you want to share that with our folks? Yeah. So what we were talking about is, um, and this is out, out, out and equal, and we we're trying to, to, to explain why San Diego, you know, military is such a big deal, and especially the LGBT community. And so if you just sort of do statistics, you know, the even though the general population has about estimates of about 10 percent LGBT uh, Q people in it, the military actually has a significantly higher number to that. And some people estimated that it's as high as 30 percent. Um, and there are different factors, you know, for, speaking from my own experience, you know, I joined the military because I didn't want to be gay, thinking, oh, if I'm in the Marines, I can't, you know, I won't be gay. Um, and, and I have talked to a lot of people who shared the same experience. But, you know, the reality is I am and I was. So it, let's say it's 30 percent. Well, then you take a city like San Diego, which has, you know, 32nd Street, the Naval Yards, North Island, Miramar, Pendleton, you know, the Coast Guard base, the, you know, there is such a large number of military in San Diego, San Diego County. Uh, in fact, we have the largest, um, the highest number of, of military, uh, the number than anywhere in the world. So if you take that number and you say, okay, now let's just say 30% of those people are LGBTQ or even 20%, then it does mean that there's a significantly higher number of of not only active duty, but then, then what happens or, you know, once again, in my own experience is, you know, I came to San Diego and thought, why would you ever want to leave here? And so I kind of, I did and came back, didn't come back. But, you know, and a lot of people do that. A lot of people sort of come here and then they retire here or they get out and they never, but almost everybody here is not from San Diego. Right. So we all fell in love with this. We stayed here. So, so, you know, you start just doing the sheer numbers and percentages and that is why, San Diego has such a very active uh, veteran and active duty military group that then also gives back to the community because it's just the numbers, right? You, you can't duplicate this in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, it's just not going to happen. So it does make us unique and it does give us um, a wonderful opportunity to really do some exciting things. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's the story, Bob. All right. Thank you, Clay. Uh, so we know that our veterans, there is a large population of veterans here. What would you, if you could have your veteran wish at, veteran wish at, what would you like to see uh, happening for our veterans here in San Diego? Uh, anybody just go ahead to jump right in. So one of the things that I become keenly aware when I meet veterans um, that are either recently out or have been out of the military for a long time, is that handoff that doesn't happen. How do we integrate our folks that are coming out of the military into civilian society? Because so often some of the things that I hear include, I left thinking that I had something of value to contribute to civilian society only to be out there and realize that nobody really cared what I learned and did in the military. That's not always true for all the skills that are gained, but it's, it, I hear it often. And I hear the struggle of the integration into civilian society and the disappointment about the less than warm welcome. And, um, and I, I would have thought that I mean, my experience was very similar to that, and that, but that was 37 years ago. So I would have thought that in today's day and age, it would be at least a little different. So it surprises me still that people who have gotten out within the last 10 years or so, um, oftentimes struggling, oftentimes dealing with challenges that are um, requiring um, exceptional attention and somehow not being able to get through that hump and being able to live a more um, a prosperous or a more fulfilling existence. Thank you, Alberto. I, I, I agree with you. Evelyn, did you have something you wanted to share? One of the things, if I had my wish, 
um, that um, in every single VA medical center that we have in this nation, that they actually had a department within that VA medical center specifically for LGBT veterans. Not only that, uh, that uh, we would have representatives from the different uh, uh, LGBT veterans communities around the world participate in a transition process. Because I know there's a program that all the service members go through right before they are discharged from military so they can help them transition from military life to civilian world. I would like to have um, see if the San Diego LGBT Community Center can develop a program like that here locally that we can come a part of that TAP program where we can speak directly and work directly with these LGBT service members and kind of hand carry them and help them transition into civil world and get them actively involved in community organizations like Mama's Kitchen, volunteering at the LGBT center so they can learn about the community, you know, volunteer with the LGBT Veterans Wall of Honor. I just want, um, I can go on and on, but I wish that, that would be my wish that we had an LGBT center in every VA medical center so that we can help those men and women transition from civilian, um, from military world to civilian world and help them get enrolled in some program where they can become actively involved in their community. Thank you, Evelyn. Clay, we've talked about that at the San Diego Pride Military Department, how we can help our veterans through a TAP, through, by maybe Pride attending the TAP program and, and, and being part of that. You want to share a little bit of that, what, we're, what we've been talking about? Yeah, so so everything that Evelyn said and, and Alberto, like, I agree wholeheartedly. I think the biggest, my, to answer your first question, Bob, is like what my wish would be is, I wish all veterans would realize that just because you get out of the military, that your skills and your um, the things you learn don't go away, and there's still a value, and there's still a way you can be involved. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people get out and think, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, you know, I'm done. I, I don't ever want to have anything to do with the military again. But over time, you know, in some people it's months, and some people it's years or decades. All of a sudden, they, they get reconnected with someone who was a veteran and think, oh. This is, I, I don't have to, I don't have to put all that in the duffel bag and file it away and never to be seen again. And so um, to help people who are getting out of the military, though, that is something that Pride Military Department has been reaching out to try to see what services can we help do. So, um, you know, when you're making that transition from active duty to veteran, it, it is scary. And, and, you know, I think the military does a pretty good job of trying to set you up. But they also kind of just kick you out. Like if you don't ask the right questions, you know, no one gives you the answers. And um, so I, I, I mentor a lot of people who are getting out and, and try to help assist. And what I always talk about is like the VA is like, you know, the thing you don't see is like there's one door you have to go through. And, and but behind that door, there's a hundred other doors of people who are waiting for you to knock on the door so they can help you. The problem is none of the doors are labeled. And if you don't know to even ask the question, how do you even know what door to knock on? If you have all these people waiting to be like, boy, if anybody, if they would just walk in the door, I could help them with you know, education or mental health or housing or, or find all these things, but all the doors don't, none of the doors have labels on them. And you don't even know what you don't know. So how do you know who to go ask? And so one of the things I would like our department to be able to do is to be that resource where people can call and say, Hey, I'm getting out. What do I need to know? Like, how do I, you know, how do I make this transition? So I think that's my big wish is just, is I just wish active duty going on to veterans knew that there are people they can talk to that can help them deal with the bureaucracy of, of or just how to get out, you know, like, how to pay your electric bill, you know, um, you know, or that you're, you're trans, like, you know, uh, Veronica Ryan has wonderful resource, you know, reaching out and giving back to the community, like mama's kitchen and pride and the center. That's what we want people to know. There are things there for people to get involved with and we're here to help. Thanks. Thanks, Clay. Thank you very much. Evelyn, you mentioned, uh, the VA, uh, Let's see if I can do that. I got two VA cards here, and it's because I can't figure out how to use my computer. But 
at the 2019 Pride Festival back in the uh, military tent sponsored by Northrop Grumman, we had two members of the VA there who were outreaching and, and specifically to the LGBT veteran community. So I will put it out there today. If there are any LGBT veterans who are listening, who are needing some sort of resource from your VA, contact Bob at San Diego Pride, and I'll put you in touch with these two folks who are leaning into the LGBT community and trying to uh, serve uh, the LGBT veterans of San Diego. Veronica, you had something you wanted to share, please. Yeah, it's not brain surgery, guys. There needs to be increased liaison, okay? Increased liaison between San Diego Pride, between the center here, between the Navy that's here in between the American Legion and VFW, okay, between the and, and also the VA. Between those five organizations, they ought to be able to provide wraparound services for every single LGBT veteran. I agree, I, I agree, Ronnie, but oftentimes uh, the LGBT veteran sometimes doesn't feel welcome at some of those organizations. So there's that. That's why they need to come, and that's why pride, and that's why pride in the center. And I'm going to put it right back at the center and pride. Both those organizations, they need to do some increased outreach to those highly conservative organizations that there may be some discomfort in working with and liaisoning with. Yeah, I, I definitely agree uh, with that. And having recently transitioned out of the Marine Corps um, in in August of 2019. Um, I was impressed to a degree with how the transition process works now, but um, Evelyn mentioned earlier that sort of the idea of what a veteran is, is kind of, uh, I think these programs are designed for the majority of the population, which are white uh, cis men. And the folks who come in and speak to the Marines and sailors who are transitioning out reflect that. And so I think there would be, I love the idea of having a representative from the center or SD Pride um, actually at TAPS to say, hey, um, come to this event, you know, come, we'll feed you and learn what we're all about. Uh, on top of that, I really wanna echo the idea of having an LGBTQ specific health center. Um, you know, since I just got out, I just re am re-experiencing civilian uh, medical services. And I went to a Planned Parenthood as my uh, my first, uh, you know, civilian medical experience. And I literally, like, I'm a Marine officer. I don't really cry a lot in public. But it made me tear up when I went into the exam room and my doctor led with, you know, what are your pronouns? The questions were really inclusive. Um, I didn't feel like I was like an outlier for having the responses that I had. And, uh, you know, after seven years of military medicine and feeling very much like awkward, even as an O3 um, receiving that, that kind of care, um, you know, it just really, I think it can't be stressed enough. And then the other two things I would say are, uh, we need to ensure that we're doing, uh, we're, we're, we're getting civilian accreditation uh, for folks who have skill sets in the military that are transferable on, in the outside world. And in recent years, you know, I think the, the Department of Defense has, has made this a little more of a priority, but you should not spend 12 years as an electrician and then have to leave and get a whole pay for a whole new certification um, on the civilian side. And, and we, don't, we don't do that uh, perfectly now. Uh, the last thing I would say is, I think that, you know, again, I, I got out about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and I'm just now kind of like processing a lot of that. Um, I left with a lot of advantages that many service members don't have. A college, you know, I already had a college degree. I worked in the civilian world before I was in the Marines, so I had a, a career to return to. And um, I see transition as like a, a year to two year long process. And I'd like to see a system in place where we basically assign a social worker to a veteran because the opportunity cost of that person slipping through the cracks and winding up homeless or taking their own life, uh, it's too great. And the resources that we could provide to take this highly competent, uh, you know, skilled individual who is a, a patriot and cares about making a difference in the world and assigning them, uh, you know, from, from the highest levels, a caseworker who's going to call and proactively check on them, who's going to 
let them know about those unmarked doors um, that you were talking about. I think that we need to reframe what transition means to us. Uh, when we think about how much money the US government invests in every soldier and airman and Marine and sailor, uh, and I guess Space Force man uh, now, <laughs> uh, that's a lot of money. Um, and from just a dollars and cents perspective, it makes sense that we ensure that these people are transitioned into a life of purpose and meaning, um, you know, not to mention all of the, the moral and ethical reasons why that's the right thing to do. You know, those, those are really uh, very pointed and, and relevant. I think though, what I would add to that is um, the, uh, a more intentional invitation to organizations that are providing services to veterans, like Veterans Village of San Diego, just as an example, to be a part of our community and be at our table, for example, at the Community Leadership Council, which can provide both insight for what we have in our community uh, for them and um, and the opportunity of sharing what they have available because um, some of those organizations um, we may perceive as homophobic are much more enlightened than we may think. And if they're not, we provide the opportunity for engagement in the community in a way that um, can make them be more responsive and attentive and, and sensitive to the unique needs of our community. Um, um, I, I know that there are some leadership in, or have been leadership in organizations like that that have been, me have been members of our community uh, that are running those organizations or have. And so um, how, how do we connect through the leadership resources and the uh, coalitions that we have existing already to, 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 um, to better know what we do and better us know what they do and how we can work more closely together. Thank you, Alberto and Janessa. Those were great points. I wanna, I wanna kind of shift us because we're coming towards the end of our hour. And I wanted to shift us to some, 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 some fun questions. I mean, these have been, it's been a great discussion, but I wanna bring it into a little bit of fun. Join the Navy and see the world. That's what I was promised. That's what my recruiter told me. Alberto, you joined the Navy and you saw under the world, uh, you know, but you got to go up and look up. Clay, Evelyn, Veronica, Janessa, tell me one of your favorite, you know, quickly, one of your favorite duty stations, most exotic, whatever, and why. And we'll start with you, Clay. Oh, that's a good one. So I was fortunate enough to be stationed in Okinawa, Japan, and I did uh, three tours there. And I actually got on a Westpac and I got to go to Thailand and Hong Kong. Uh, we went to, we deployed a lot to the Philippines, Korea. Um, but I think, I think for me, the probably the one that, that I still think about every Christmas is I was in Hong Kong at Christmas. And I can still remember going up Victoria Peak and seeing the city all lit up. And, you know, one of my favorite pictures is uh, we took a picture of some of my Marine buddies and I walking through through Hong Kong and I'm six foot three and there is a sea of little black heads about this tall. And then there's like my buddies are about a little bit taller and then there's me. And it's it, it, it's so funny because everyone was not six foot tall. And uh, but every Christmas I think about um, how beautiful Hong Kong was at Christmas. And, and I feel very lucky to have gone to all the places that I got to go to. Thank you. Evelyn, how about you? Um, I was with a base unit, a detachment of NCRD. We trained the recruits that were coming into the Marine Corps. My last station was Weapons Field Training Battalion on Camp Pendleton. And um, one of the things I really appreciated about that is when we did PT, we would have to run in the tomato fields. And the tomato fields were no longer in existence. They were along the I-5, and it was right along the beach. And and I loved that because when I was in agony of running on the beach and going through this routine, I could look over to the ocean and say, oh, at least I got that to look at. I'm going through this pain. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Veronica, where, how about you? You. Where, where was your most enjoyable duty station? Oh, mine was Dinkelsbühel, Germany. It's on the Romantischstrasse between Vienna and uh, Würzburg. And it's a, uh, a gingerbread house city, the walled city from the Middle Ages. And our unit was told to 
uh, take up uh, fighting positions in the town. And we got to spend the night there in the town square. And when I got up in the morning, I went over to the local bakery and I got the great cup of German coffee and the big, big, the biggest uh, Danish that you could ha uh, that you could find, and it was warm, and it was the best beauty station of all. It was, uh, it was just a delight. And we were we were supposed to be in the field. Jessica, <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> uh, how about you? How about with the Marine Corps? Yeah, well, first I want to apologize to Angela in the comments for leaving out the Coast Guard in my er my earlier comments. Uh, but um, so I'm from San Diego. I was actually born and raised in, in Encinitas and uh, was really fortunate to be stationed here twice, first as a second lieutenant at Miramar. Um, and then my last duty station, I was at MCRD San Diego, which is just a real uh, treat to be at. Um, just, you know, it's like the most motivated place on earth. But uh, my favorite duty station, um, I, I had a platoon, I was deployed to uh, Eastern Europe in support of NATO operations in 2017. I had a platoon in Romania and a platoon in Norway. Oh. And uh, the, the Norway platoon was in a town, no joke, named Hell. And uh, it was, you know, very cold there. Um, and I got to ping back and forth between those two places every couple of weeks. Um, so it was a really neat experience and, uh, you know, pretty fun to have a bunch of ticket stubs that say like to hell on them. Um. <laughs> That's great. So bottom one in my answer, my favorite duty station, if I could be a 24 year old drill instructor for my, the rest of eternity, I would do that every minute of the day it, it mcrd being a drill instructor in mcrd was probably one of the best things that, that for me was it and if i could just be 24 and doing that every day for the rest of my life i i, I would do that in a heartbeat all right alberto did you get to see much of the world absolutely yeah absolutely you know i was also drawn by the join the navy see the world uh, motto it was i was a poor kid from the South Bronx living in Puerto Rico. And I, the only way out was going into the military and it was gonna be the Navy. And I did, and um, I absolutely loved my four years in the Navy. I got out only because I was gay and I was conscious that I didn't want to live in the closet for, for a career of any kind. And it was a, a sad and hard decision to make. But I will say that um, the whole join the Navy, see the world, I was eager to go to Europe and the Navy was going to make it happen. And it did within the first six months I joined. And I kind of go like, okay, done this, can I leave? No, I can't. I got <laughs> I to finish my, my contract. But um, I absolutely recall um, I was on a combat store sh ship waiting to get uh, uh, sent to submarine school, and we were uh, doing a, uh, going to the Mediterranean. And I remember being on that boat, seeing the first glimmers of light of Rota, Spain, thinking, "Oh my God, I made it to Europe," and and um, and got to do two Mediterranean runs, which I was um, I enjoyed thoroughly. I enjoyed the the environment thoroughly and was always and continue to be very grateful um, that I, when I got out, I struggled and it would be many, many years before I would find a place again that felt like my flock, so to speak. Um, but um, so I, I think of the whole experience in a very um, uh, joyful way. Thank you, Alberto. You mentioned contracts. When all of us went into the military, maybe with the exception of the officers, I can't quite recall, but the enlisted, we signed an enlistment contract. And I joke with people that I had a, an agreement for warm weather only because I did tours of duty in Puerto Rico, in La Maddalena, Italy, and then San Diego. And uh, it was really fun uh, for me. Uh, I want to ask another question about the food because everybody talks about the food. I know for me it was a steel deck picnic. I had never understood. I never heard of it. Of course, who do who would have if they weren't in the military? And some of you might be familiar with steel deck picnic. But what was your favorite food or or your worst? Tell us a food story. It's almost lunchtime. In fact, it's yeah. Soon we'll be lunch. Tell us a food story, Veronica. You're on mute, Veronica. There you go. 
I okay. We used to do something called ranger cake, and we used to uh, wrap this dough into a uh, aluminum foil. We used to rig a little basket in the engine compartment of our one one threes. We used to bake something called ranger cake, and it's a mixture of corn cornmeal flour, baking powder, water, and you throw in some cinnamon, uh, sugar, and all of that. And I tell you what, after after a week or two in the field, and all of a sudden you eat something like that because you've been surviving on MREs, that's like heaven. <laughs> Evelyn, what about you? Any any special food for you? Nope. Hold on, Evelyn, we can't hear you. Um, we'll come back to you, Evelyn. Okay, uh, Janessa, how about you? Any any special food over there in uh, in Well, I feel like uh, as a Marine, I probably need to tell a story about drinking rather than eating, <laughs> but uh, I will I will keep it to food. Uh, back to the the Norway situation. So my my uh, Marines and sailors were on a, a Norwegian reserve base uh, as our sort of our operating base. And we'd go out, punch out into the field and out into the above the Arctic circle for training, but that's where they were primarily housed. And we had a contract with the Norwegian food service provider there. You know, you, normally if you're uh, American military overseas, there's a big Sodexo operation, uh, you know, in the chow hall, but we had the DOD had contracted with Nor the Norwegians. And so when we first got there, uh, I, I very much remember the first morning, you know, we'd been flying for like days to get there. And, uh, the guys, guys and gals all got up to go get some chow in the morning and we get to the food, the, the chow hall and it's like fresh smoked, smoked salmon, muesli, like Greek yogurt, uh, wonderful high quality food that you would never see in a Sodexo chow, chow hall. But all the, all my Marines and sailors are like 19 year olds from Oklahoma. And they're like, what, where are the tater tots? Like what, <laughs> where are the hash browns? What is this fish in the morning? You know? And so, um, we took some took some liaisoning with the Norwegian food service to providers. So it was probably the best quality food that they would ever get at a chow hall, but you know, not exactly right for the the palate of uh, of, of teenagers. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I, folks, I told Evelyn when we talked yesterday that we could probably talk all afternoon, and I would really love to talk all afternoon with all of you because we've only scratched some of your service that you've done since leaving the military. Uh, Veronica with Neutral Corners and the Wall of Honor. Alberto with Mama's Kitchen. Uh, Clay with the Pride Military Department, moving it from a contingent to a full department uh, and, and the, being on the Wall of Honor. Alberto being on the Wall of Honor. Uh, Evelyn being on the Wall of Honor. This and, and of course, Janessa being, I think of you as kind of being new to San Diego. Of course, you've been here all your life, but some of us are just meeting you now for the first time. I'm in awe of, of what you give back to San Diego. And, and I appreciate your time here this afternoon. Um, I, I appreciate your service and I thank you for your service to this country. We are all patriots. We are all people that believe very strongly in the promise of what we have in America. So um, I, I wanna say thank you. We're running out of time and Clay, Alberto, Veronica, Janessa and Evelyn, Thank you very much for being here with us this afternoon. Um, well, I just want to say one last thing. Yes, ma'am. I do want to reach out, though, and thank the Center and Pride for all of the current outreach and past outreach that both organizations have done to the military with the Center's Wall of Honor and with Pride's military department. I think it's a great, great step forward. Amen. Uh, I know I speak for Clay when we talk about wanting to bring those two programs even closer together uh, for uh, volunteer outreach programs, uh, social programs where veterans can be together. Um, all of you and, and those of you listening, uh, very soon, Clay, will be sending out a, a, a needs assessment for our LGBT veterans, a needs assessment survey for our LGBT veterans. And we ask you all to... Uh, to spread, share that with your uh, community of veterans so we can get feedback on how Pride's vet, uh, military department can better serve our community. So I know that my my technical people back of house are uh, 
are, are saying wrap it up, Bob. And um, <laughs> I will do that. And uh, please know that Bob is here. If I can do anything for you all, happy holidays. I hope you and your family have a great Thanksgiving. Bye, everyone. Take care. Thank, Thank you. Semper Fi. Happy birthday, Marines. Happy birthday, Marines. Yeah. So uh, we just want to thank a few people here at San Diego Pride for helping to make this possible. We'd like to thank Melissa. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Melanie. Melanie, who helps with us, uh, as well as uh, Alex and Tyler behind the scenes. Uh, coming up to, on Thursday, uh, Thursday night, it's the second Vibe with Pride, our entertainment department run by the fabulous Gardenia Partridge is having our second Vibe with Pride. The host is Jay Rodriguez and the guests on Thursday night are Jordy, Kalina Zanders and David Hernandez. You won't want to miss the Vibe with Pride on Thursday, day after tomorrow. Happy Veterans Day to everybody. And if you are able, consider donating to San Diego Pride so that we can continue these types of programs, not only with our veterans, but also with our youth, uh, our different coalitions. And we thank you very much. Happy Veterans Day. Bye, everyone.